The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Doug Powell. I'm the current president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, uh, which is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And we are the ones who are sponsoring the event today, talking about the area agencies on aging. And um, we've been working on trying to uh, get them a little more um, user-friendly for uh, blind and low-vision people uh, around the country. And so we started with a, uh, uh, a survey um, and we asked our members to contact their area agencies on aging and fill out the survey with uh, a staff member uh, of the agency. Uh, we're going to call them AAAs, if you don't mind. Um, uh, but it, it stands for Area Agency on Aging. And uh, each um, region or county or city uh, or town uh, usually has one. So... Um, uh, so anyway, so we've been asking our members to contact them and, and fill out a survey to find out what where they are in terms of being um, uh, accessible for uh, blind and low vision seniors. And um, we're here today with um, Anisio Korea, who is the vice president of uh, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which we will now call AAVL. Um, and um, he's been working on uh, gather, gathering the surveys and, find, and uh, assessing the information that we're getting from them. And he's joined by uh, Neva Fairchild, who actually does this for a living. She's, uh, um, she, you know, she does assessments of, of surveys and, and that kind of thing. Um, for AFB, I think, right, Neva? That's correct. I am with AFB, but I don't work in our research department. But Anisio asked me to help with this project because I'm also involved with the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition with him. Great. And that's, yeah, that's another entity that you might hear about, um, which um, I, I, I think that that's an offshoot of the Vision Serve Alliance. Is that correct, Neva, or is it vice versa? That is correct. It it is sponsored and 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 housed at the Vision Serve Alliance website and and supported by their staff. Great, thanks. So, um, without further ado, I will hand it off to uh, Anisio and Neva to talk about um, what they found out from this survey, and then we will talk to you guys again about. Um, what you can do to make a difference in terms of uh, contacting your AAAs and either filling out the survey with them or um, other ways that you can assist them in uh, becoming more uh, blind and low vision friendly. So Neva Anisio, please take it away. Thank you, uh, Doug, um, for the opportunity. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of background uh, that is absolutely connected to what we, were, we are going to discuss. Um, 
so both Neva and I have been very active, and so is the the AAVL, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, involved in the um, Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition that Doug referred to. So one of the one of the things that we are finding through various involvement in various committees that the AAVLNC, the coalition, is involved in and structured around, we, we have identified that there are about 12 million people over age 40 that have significant vision problems. By significant, we mean people that vision problems that impact their ability to to perform daily living uh, tasks uh, as they used to to be able to do, uh, uh, cited. Um, the the more startling statistic is that of those twelve million, uh, and maybe just a few less because they you know when you look at people that are over age sixty, but not a lot less because the majority of people with vision loss. Uh, are older people, right, over the age of 60. Um, when you look at that population, you realize that only about 3% of them access or receive services uh, that are available through the vision rehabilitation delivery system. You know, the, the, all the state rehab programs or the the local nonprofits that provide vision, uh, provide daily living skills, orientation and mobility, computer training, all those uh, various services that enable an older person to remain independent, as independent as they wish in their homes. So 3%. So you really wonder about what happens to the other 97%, right? So some of them may not, may not want services for sure, but the majority of them perhaps may not be aware of that they exist or have a way to get to them or they're too far or they're not available in their state, whatever it may be. So parallel to that system of vision rehab service delivery system, you have the aging at work that Doug was talking about. The aging at work is uh, um, sponsored or, or covered under the Older Americans Act. And it basically is structured in such a way that you have a federal agency and then you have each state or, or uh, territory has its own uh, office for the aging. It may be called different things. So um, in some cases, it's the state office for the aging. If you look for or even ask the A-Lady, really, nowadays, it's so easy to find these things. And you ask the A-Lady, what is the what is the agency, the state office for the aging in such and such state? Chances are it will give you a, a clue of what department, perhaps a bigger department, where is where is housed. Um, it could be housed in the education department. It could be housed in the uh, social welfare department, uh, family and children. There's really all types of different departments, varies from state to state. And then each state office for the aging operates or, or is the umbrella agency for the various AAAs, the Area Agency on Aging. An Area Agency on Aging may cover a city, may cover a county, or it may cover several counties, depending on the region, how populated they are, how uh, urbanized they are, how big they are from, uh, 
from each other, etc. And that's those triple A's that this project was trying to reach. Unfortunately, the knowledge about blindness and visual impairment is very limited among these, these folks. Uh, they're nice people, they do good jobs, do good work, but they know very little about uh, vision, vision loss. Uh, Neva and I, I mean, Neva can tell you stories and so can I of, of going to senior centers, for example, or going to an assisted living facility uh, or going to any, any, um, any um, group setting where people, where they have pe older people uh, congregating either for lunch or activities. And we asked, so how many people do you serve that have vision loss? And they, the typical response, oh no, we don't have, we really don't have anyone or maybe I knew someone two years ago or whatever. And the reality is if we then go and ask the folks in that setting, how many of are any of you experiencing difficulty with reading your labels in your medication or identifying steps when you're going down and you can't tell when the first step is? Typically, a lot of hands go up. They were just never asked. So when you put these two things together, right, the 3% that the Vision Rehab Services reaches right now. I mean, we need to reach more and we need more funding and AAVL and ACB and the, 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 the vision, the aging and vision loss coalition, they're all working together to try to increase the funding, try, try to, to, to increase the number of professionals available, all that is going on. But parallel to that, we all think that we also need to involve the aging network so that they can provide one provide whatever services they provide right now more accessibly and have accessible information etc and then two uh, become more aware of what services this population needs and perhaps be able to provide them themselves uh, so we can begin to tackle that 97 percent i was talking about so the idea then to, to, to do these surveys was one, we really didn't expect, I don't think a lot of surprises that all of a sudden, you know, we were gonna find that the, all these AAAs were, were providing a lot of services to blind people and they had all these special, special programs. We didn't really think so, but the goal was to make them aware of that this population exists. And then two, by connecting each individual uh, AAVL member or ACB member with them, that perhaps they could then offer their services to be part of their advisory council, AAA, um, disability council, whatever it may be, they might make sense. So they become more involved in their community and in the, uh, and the, the AAA also becomes more familiar with the with the subject matter and with the needs that exist in their community, right? So, sorry for this long background, but I thought it might be might be helpful to put it into uh, into context what we're doing here. So we, the 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 Alliance on Asian Vision Loss, as, as Doug said, developed the questionnaire, an intro letter to to an, administ an administrator of the uh, of a AAA, and they also put together a really clear and very uh, detailed um, 
process for going about doing this. And so, and then we started to advertise and marketing and through ACB lists and, and others. And they people were asked to to uh, to email me and request uh, these documents. And so I kept track of who requested what, of where they were from, and then as they uh, mailed the questionnaires, and, and different people did differently, uh, different ways. Some folks decided to do the questionnaire via phone. Remember, a lot of this also happened during the COVID pandemic. So the, the whole, these results are a little bit conditioned by that. But people did it via phone. In some cases, they were able to meet. Um, and uh, other times they would mail the questionnaire with a letter and then the, the representative from the AAA would get back to them. So I received about 40, between 40 and 45 requests for surveys and the letter, right? That the people then, the folks, the members would, would uh, then send to that AAA. Out of those 45, we received then 15 completed uh, surveys from 15 different AAAs. And I'll tell you the states that, that did it. So those with the most states can feel proud of their, their um, accomplishment. So Texas ended up with eight completed questionnaires. So that means that eight AAAs responded and provided some information. California had two. Ohio also had two. We had one from Pennsylvania, um, one from one from Oregon, and one from Massachusetts. So those were the 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 surveys that we received. I also received some correspondence from folks that obviously there were more people that requested the surveys that than the surveys themselves. And some of the reasons that I heard from, from folks were that they were unable to, to uh, identify within the organization who to contact or to find an email address, or uh, more often than not, they received no response from the, their email or voicemails that they left with the, the person at the AAA. Again, not totally surprising. And again, remembering that a lot of this happened during the pandemic where people were working from home and maybe the phone system didn't work as well. So I'm not looking for excuses, but there are some mitigating um, um, realities that I think it's important to take into account. So, and now I, I'll pass it to, uh, to Neva. Neva was, was uh, nice enough to be able to offer to go through the questionnaires, the surveys, and let us know if there are any, uh, any commonalities, any, any um, strands that go from one to the other, or are they all different? Or, you know, what did we, is there anything that we can learn from these responses? Neva? Thank you, Anisio. My name is Neva Fairchild, and I'm the Aging and Vision Loss, National Aging and Vision Loss Specialist for the American Foundation for the Blind. And American Foundation for the Blind is not a membership organization like ACB and NFB. We are an 
information clearinghouse or hub for the nation about blindness and low vision. I've been volunteering on the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition since before it was called that, when AFB was sponsoring it. We kicked it off in 2016 after the White House um, event on aging that's held every 10 years, where these startling statistics got examined one more time. It's horrifying to me that we have a, a population that is being underserved at the rate of 97%. And I, I'm kind of grateful that I lost my vision earlier in life so that I could get my rehabilitation and my training uh, when it was available and, and when I needed it instead of, you know, waiting until I was in my 60s and not being able to get it or not knowing it even existed. Because sometimes that's the problem that people just don't even know it's out there. Can't walk into Walmart and say, hey, how do I learn to be blind? They don't have it. Um, but <clears throat> we would like to think that um, people would get to the right resource um, in today's world of Google, but that isn't always the case. As Anisio said, we expected some of the difficulties that we had with getting people to get this information, um, getting through to the right person at one of these government agencies, which like it or not, they are a government agency. They don't look like one. They look like a nonprofit, but they're really not. They, they receive government funding, can receive private funding too, but they are required throughout the nation by the um, also the administration on community living oversees some of what they do. And getting the information from the person you talk to also turned out to be an interesting um, problem because sometimes they just didn't know the answers to some of the questions. But not surprisingly, and what we sort of expected to hear was another thing that Anisio alluded to, which is that they don't they don't serve people who are blind. They don't have people who are blind or coming to their organization for help. And um, we know that's not true. We're, we know that people are bound to be doing that because people who are blind or visually impaired need meals on wheels if they are homebound. And most of the AAAs, that's one of the things they offer. What we learned that we want you to take away and take some action on is that just like if you've met one person who is blind or has low vision, you've met one person who is blind or has low vision. You really can't draw a lot of everybody who is blind is the same uh, parallel lines, just like with area agencies on aging. If you'd interviewed one or visited one or had services from one, then you know about exactly one AAA because they are so different from county to county, from city to city, from state to state. I guess that's one of the beautiful things about being American is that wherever you are and wherever something is getting uh, enacted and and uh, localized and and stood up. They're given basic guidelines, but then they're given a lot of freedom to do what they think they can do and what they want to do. Some of them have only case management, caseworker, 
care coordination kind of services, no meals, no transportation, no senior centers, uh, no exercise programs, no chronic health programs, no, no, no anything that a lot of the other agencies have. Some of them have very robust lists of services, including all those things I just mentioned and more. The trick is, is as people who are aging, who need services, whether we're blind or visually impaired or not, we have to investigate in our area. And I would charge that each American Council of the Blind chapter could take on the responsibility of getting acquainted with the AAA or the AAAs that serve their catchment area so that they can help their members understand what's available and know where to reach out to. And vice versa, we have to get involved as citizens who are older and have visual impairments. We have to get involved with these AAA agencies if we want them to provide us with what we need. They, they don't have a lot of awareness of the size of our population. Um, one of the uh, proponents of this and, and someone who got two of the AAAs here in Texas to answer the questionnaire is Larry Johnson. And Larry's done a beautiful job of sharing with the AAA the size of the aging population and using the percentages that um, before a few weeks ago, we were using a different percentage. Now we actually have a higher percentage in Texas that on average 9.7% of people over 65 in Texas have a significant visual impairment. We used to use a seven point something percent. So the number just grew because our research grew. Our agencies that serve people who are aging don't know about that. Our government agencies don't know about that. It's it's really kind of sad and it's really up to us to make sure that we share that information. And I'll give you a resource where you can find that out for your state if your state has been examined. And even more importantly, for your county, because these big data reports that are coming out of the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition go down to the county level. And Texas just came out a few weeks ago, like I said, and I live in Texas, so I was interested. And the shocker to me was not that 9.7% instead of 7.7% have a visual impairment if you're over 65. That doesn't shock me at all. In fact, it feels a little low to me, but it's what it is from the census and from the data we have. Okay, I'll buy it. The shocker for me was that by county, our rate of vision loss among people 65 years old and older ranges from 2% to almost 28%. So you could live in a county, somebody does, that has 28%. That's, that's one out of four people, a little more than that, over 65 who are struggling with their vision. One out of four. You know more than four people who are 65 older or older that live in your county. 
And if you're in one of those counties in Texas or another state where it's remarkably high like that, your area agency needs to know about this and they need to they need to help us address this because it is it is an epidemic that we have to fight. One of the things that I was surprised about in the in the 14 responses that I read through and easy I must be missing one because I only had 14 so if there's a 15th I need to figure out who it is um, is they don't know if any of their staff, or their volunteers, or their patrons, for the most part, they do not know if they have visual impairment. Some cited, well, that's a personnel issue. We can't ask that. Okay, well, fine. If they walk in with a white cane or a seeing eye dog, could you just make note of it? (laughs) I mean, this is not hard, right? Okay, maybe you can't ask. Maybe that's against HIPAA or some rule somewhere, but doggone it. Uh, if I come to something at the senior center, they're going to know I'm blind because I've got a long white cane. The, the thing is, is that if nobody's going to them for help with meals or help with companion care or help with financial advisement or help with coordination of Medicare services or all of the different services that they provide, if nobody's going to them for help, and they don't say, hey, I have trouble seeing all this stuff you give me. I can't read it. It's not doing me any good. I need it in an alternative format. I need it in audio. I need it in Braille. I need it in super large print. Whatever you need to make use of their services. If nobody comes to them and asks for them for that, how likely are they going to be to provide it? Not likely at all. And that's what they said. If somebody asked us for alternative, we would provide it. Now, that's a really nice thing to say. And you and I both know that they might or might not really provide it in an alternative format. But at least they say they'll try and we can hold them to that and we can help them understand what that means. And we can keep advocating until we get, as an individual, what we need to understand Medicare. God help you, because I sure can't understand it. But you have to be able to be out there and ask for these services. And maybe you can't be out there. Maybe you can't travel to the next city where the services are in person. But if you can't, then there's transportation services at some of these AAAs to get you to their congregate meal centers and to get you to their social services. And if that doesn't exist, then you have to keep asking until you find a way. So the other thing that hit me when I was reading through all of the responses besides the vast differences between what is supplied and and what is and what is supplied at one AAA versus the next one uh because it's different uh, every single one is different um is that there's no specialized programming, no service provision for people who are blind or visually impaired. So let's take Texas again, just because I'm I'm proud of being a Texan. At 9.7%, that's close enough to 10% to say one out of 10 people over 65 are going to need something. They're going to need something a little bit different 
than the average bear. Maybe um, they're going to need something different than a person with Alzheimer's. Maybe they're going to need something different than a person with a lot of the other age-related chronic illnesses like arthritis and heart disease and blah, blah, blah. You name it, it's, it's on the list. And the, the comorbidity, which means it happens at the same time, that's a big fancy word that the CDC uses that I only learned a few years ago. The comorbidity of vision loss is correlated with the top seven chronic illnesses related to aging. So people with arthritis, higher levels of vision loss. What happens when you go to an exercise class at a AAA for, for folks with arthritis and they hand you this little piece of paper? It's got these cute little line drawings on it with all the positions you're supposed to you know, take and, and hold for 10 seconds and then move to this next position. You're not going to be able to do that. And unfortunately, they don't know that you can't do it if you don't speak up. And that, I believe, is the biggest part of the problem for AAAs helping people who are older, who have whatever level of vision loss they're dealing with, is that we have to speak up. Many people are afraid to speak up. If they tell their family that they're not seeing well, their family is going to jerk them out of their home and put them in a nursing home. If they're in assisted living and they admit that they're not seeing well, they're going to jerk them out of of, uh, independent living and put them in assisted living or out of assisted living and put them in skilled nursing. Um, If they admit they can't see well, oh, gosh, they might get their driver's license taken away. Yes, please take their driver's license away and let's get all these low vision folks off the road because I don't like crossing streets when people can't see me and maybe we'd have less accidents. But the point is, is that people hide their vision loss for lots of reasons. Sometimes I think it's the words we use. Um, Older individuals who are blind, independent living services program. Those are available in every state. OIB. You've heard that phrase. Um, If I am, you know, 20, 60, 20, 80, and, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing as well as I used to. Print isn't as easy to read. I got to hold it right up against my face. I can't see that tiny print on the backs of the medicine bottles anyway. I'm not going to call myself blind. I don't identify with blind. I don't want to be referred to as blind. Those services don't match me. I'm not going to go for them. My mom was that way about aging. She wouldn't go for aging services to save her life. She lived until 80 something. And in her 70s, she would she would say to me, I'm not old. That's for old people. <laughs> so we've got to figure out a way to get AAA and people who have vision loss working together to make their services accessible and amenable and to help them help us with the folks who are losing vision later in life to know that there is life after vision loss that there is a world of things they can do to live fully and live productively and to remain as independent as possible. Anisio, shall we open it up for questions or do you want to cover some more? No, I think that that's a, that's a good uh, good time to do that, unless Doug wants to add anything so far. My, my question is, how are sighted people being referred to the AAA programs 
and why aren't blind people being uh, being referred the same way? Well, there are great big billboards uh, <laughs> along the highways. There are um, television commercials and print ads in newspapers and magazines. Um, there are ads online, like through Facebook and that kind of thing. They'll pop up for me. Now that I've talked about it and my phone is present, I'm sure there will be lots of Facebook ads that pop up about area agency on aging services and that type of thing. I think sometimes the doctors also refer, especially if there's a nutrition issue, if they're starting to see that a person is losing weight and their, you know, their nutrition numbers aren't looking good. Um, but that, that also doesn't mean that that older person who is sighted is going to go to that. Like, like the example with my mom, she had great vision till she died, but she wouldn't go to a congregate meal center or even an arts and crafts class just to have fun and meet some, you know, people to talk to other than her dog, you know? Yeah. Um, so they have an equal problem of not all the aging people coming out to get help, but I think we have a niche in that problem in that the yeah. older people who are blind either um, don't get a good reception when they get there. Cause what Anisio said at the beginning about, you know, people telling me when I go out and do presentations, oh, we don't have anybody here at this center that, that doesn't yeah. see well. I'm like, really? You're seeing 40, 85 year olds and 120, 65 year olds every day in your congregate meal program. You've got people who don't see well. I promise you. Either that or it's been so inhospitable when they came here. Yeah. White tables, white floors, white chairs, white plates, white cups, <laughs> clear plasticware. And they just found it too difficult and they never came back again. It's one of the two of those. Yeah, I, I mean, the other the other one place where a lot of people find these kinds of services are at uh, at least before the pandemic in the different health fairs and um, social service uh, community fairs where even if you were to go there as a, as a visually impaired person, chances are you wouldn't be getting any information that was accessible, let alone getting there to begin with. So that that's another one. But I, I think Neve is right. I mean, I've worked for years in, in trying to help older persons to integrate into, into senior centers is one of the hardest things because the environment is not, it's not the, the folks that are not helpful, the, it's, the physical facility in many cases is not accessible, let alone the programming. You know, so a person is interested in going to uh, and the exercise group once a week, right? You get there and, uh, and you, you keep hearing this person at the, front of the room saying okay now you do this and then you you lift your arm this way and then you know obviously the person is not going to go back if you don't have any help at all to to be able to follow those those instructions so it, it's um it's an ongoing issue um but one that needs to you know we, we can't just ignore it we do have one hand uh jesse kramer you may unmute Hi. Um, before the pandemic, I tried to teach a class and I can't remember. It was through our, um, we call them in Utah, five counties office. And they did like living with chronic pain, living with diabetes. Um, you know, one of the things, but this was a couple of years ago, I don't know if they've changed, but 
they wouldn't offer some of the material in large print. And I was thinking, this is mostly a larger population that are going to have vision impairments. And uh, yes, um, I can't remember what class I taught because there's a whole bunch of classes that they do. It's like living with chronic pain. Um, and it's through Wisconsin is where they get their curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have ever approached that um, curriculum base to put it as a standard procedure, take an assessment before you even start the class to say, how do you need the materials? You know, and like, I finally did say, I need the book on audio tape. It took them a while to do it, but they did it. Um, But I was very shocked by that. And I'm hoping that's different now. (laughs) It is shocking. And a lot of those evidence-based programs that you're talking about come out of the National Council on Aging. And um, Priscilla Rogers and I, through the American Foundation for the Blind, have worked with them. And some some of them have been adapted and their materials are available in alternative formats. This is another example where we have to keep advocating, whether you want to be the instructor or whether you want to be a participant in the class, you know, you have to, you have to advocate um, so that it comes from both directions. I can preach to them as a, you know, national organization that's over a hundred years old, your materials need to be in large print, at least 18 point font, use Arial or some other sans serif, widen the spacing, blah, 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 blah. And I get nowhere until somebody says, hey, I can't take this class unless I have this. And they don't give up. That's the secret. They don't give up. They keep Well, and the problem is, this is the first time people are taking those classes. They're obviously they're probably facing issues of aging. So at the same time, yep. you're asking them to resol- be resolute in the fact that they have a vision problem plus they're aging yep. Yep. and maybe having a chronic pain, you know? So I, I'm sorry to say, but I feel like it really falls on the instructors of these types of classes. And I, I personally am going to try to talk to our county office and say, you know, you guys need to do an assessment at first, you know, yes. and see who might need this. So it becomes a standard practice. And they're getting more information if you give it to them in the right media for them. Oh, absolutely. In the state of Oklahoma, they have instituted a new, and Anisio, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's three questions that they ask every aging service provider in the state, every entry point, ask these three questions about vision. And it's like, you know, do you have trouble seeing even when you're wearing glasses or contacts? Do you have trouble reading uh, regular standard size print? Uh, can you see someone across the street if they wave at you? Can you recognize them kind of thing? And they have gotten such a huge response that referrals to the OIB program and to vision um, services has just jumped up astronomically because the aging providers are finding out that, no, these people can't read regular print. They can't see people across the street. They can't do some of their activities of daily living because they can't see well enough. And, and, and what Anisio said at the beginning is true. 
that a lot of people who are older, who are having trouble with their vision, some of it could be remediated by a current eye exam and a current prescription for eyeglasses. (laughs) Sadly, you know, they're wearing 30-year-old eyeglasses and guess what? They can't see well. Well, go figure. But they also may not be able to afford an eye exam and or a new pair of glasses. And that's something we have to address too. Whether we like it or not, they're living as a person with a visual impairment, even though a new pair of glasses would fix that problem. If they don't have that new pair of glasses, they're living as if it wasn't changeable. We do have two more hands. Well, hold on just a second. I'd like to address one more thing on on what, um, was it Jesse? Uh, mm-hmm. was asking. Uh, we've been in, in communication with uh, Medicaid um, about, you know, making sure that their programs, you know, we, uh, we, we, we talked at the national level asking if, you know, the Medicaid programs are, you know, uh, you know, are blind and low vision people uh, eligible for a lot of their programs. And they said, sure. Um, but you know what? At uh, at the state level, they decide what programs they're going to make it, uh, available in the state, and the people who are intaking, the people who are uh, fielding the calls or you know the walk-ins um, for those programs, they're used to asking a particular set of eligibility questions. And those eligibility questions are mostly for, uh, you know, can you dress yourself? Can you toilet yourself? Can you shower yourself? Can you make your own food? You know, uh, you know those kinds of questions, which, yeah, we can, um, but those are not the fundamental questions of whether we can stay out of an institution or not. You know, can we read things? Can we get to a place out in the community? You know, do we have cane skills or something like that? Those are a different set of questions that they're probably not used to asking. So I was pleased to hear that Neva said that, you know, there are three questions that people ask are starting to ask, but we also need to make sure that everybody's asking those three questions, not just a few people who actually, you know, have been exposed to blind and low vision people and, and uh, know to ask. So that's another part of our advocacy, I think, is making sure that um, local uh, local eligibility people are asking those kinds of questions. Absolutely, that that is a that is an excellent advocacy effort for sure for us to adopt. All right, I think Desi, we're ready to take another question then. All right, Beth, you're up. Go ahead and unmute. Yes. Hello, Jesse. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, we hear you. Yes, we can hear you. That's my problem, too, is that um, the waivers or whatever for the elderly and disabled, they ask you four questions. Can you toilet yourself? Can you, can you bathe? Can you um, dress yourself? Can you... Uh, do you have trouble uh, preparing meals? I don't have trouble in any of those areas. And um, as a result, they really don't want to help a lot of blind people who who can live independently because they say, well, uh, you don't need services or you don't need a caregiver if 
if um, if you can do all those things, and uh, you know the caregiver has to be there when you take a shower and stuff. I don't need those services. Right. And um, what one of the? I mean, maybe I need uh, transportation to the store or um, uh, things like that. I can live independently. One of the things. But those are not questions that they're asking. Right. One of the one of the advocacy efforts that Doug was talking about that AAVL and ACB are implementing is is uh, is to make sure that the these are these services you you're referring to are often um, found within the home and community based services H. Um, HCBS that yes. a lot of, right and right now uh, HCBS in many in most states do not include things like orientation and mobility the living skills vision rehab and one of the things that we are, we are working on is to advocate for them to to cover these services so it would also bring more money to to agencies that are offering these services to older people with vision loss. The, what we found is that on a federal statute level, there's nothing that prevents a state from including those services in HCBS, in home and community-based services. It's just up to the state. So, you know, again, as part of our advocacy on a state level, we need to work with the 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 these folks to try to uh, to get these things included, but you know what the the problems that all the individuals had in identifying the, the local AAA and identifying who to talk to, those are the same issues that we encounter. It's 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 a very convoluted system. Uh, of course, they probably think about the same about our system, um, and it's hard, it's hard to change. But it, we need to continue the the struggle. But then if something happens, like what happened with me, I had a blood blood toxicity issue. Mm -hmm. I didn't even need to go. And then, so they told me, they told me um, well, just go to this rehab center. Just, you'll be just, you'll be there for about a month. The ER docs told me that. Well, see, these people saw Medicaid dollars and I couldn't get out of there for, you know, I had to. I had to write ACB, the national office, to get in to get involved because uh, we don't have a strong state affiliate. And I almost, I almost didn't get out of there. I I was there for like three years. Wow, good for you uh, that you that you you didn't give up. Yeah, Beth, and the uh, the other thing and is, uh, like, when you have a person who says, "Well, we don't we don't do that." You know, you know, if you say, you know, if they offer you the services, you know, for people who have problems with, you know, those toilet, you know, those uh, skills of daily living uh, and that you don't have problems with and they say, well, then we can't help you. Then you say, well, uh, you should be able to help me. And who can I talk to? Who's, you know, who's the, who's your manager or who who's the director of this uh, AAA that I can talk to them? Because this is a service that this group ought to be providing. Well, that, that's um, that's with the, with your uh, insurance too. If you're because, like you said, the state states sets the guidelines for 
for services, and um, and those uh, services are within the insurance company, so the insurance companies won't uh, even pay for um, any other services that you that you need except those four. And um, like if you tell them you need transportation to to run errands, that's about all I need is uh, transportation right. to do errands and maybe light housekeeping. Oh, well, we don't do that. They used to do light housekeeping, but they supposedly don't anymore. Yeah. Again, they're they're not going to provide. So they are uh, the. Uh, so they get some funding, and they have to allocate their funding to the squeaky wheel. Um, the people who are making the most noise and asking for services are the ones who get the money and get you know get the services. So until we squeak the wheel and uh, to, you know make sure that they be insistent about that you know we need services as well, then they're going to continue to fund the programs that you know that they've been funding because you know they know they're doing good things for the people who are asking. Yes, I for understand. It. Yeah. I understand that, but then if something happens. Like me with my blood toxicity issue, um, uh, the state was going to go for guardianship at one point, and I'm like, no, I don't need that. And I was really scared to death because I knew I'd never get out of that place if that happened. Yeah, well, it sounds like you were a good advocate for yourself, uh, Beth. And, and did, well, did no, you I had a uh, I had a team of of people that uh, I had to write to ACB, and I had a counselor, and then. The ombudsman was like, no, she really doesn't need to be here. But the, the nursing home, they saw money. Yeah. The rehab center saw Medicaid dollars coming in. And, you know, and they could keep your whole check, too. They saw all that coming in. And they weren't about to help me find an apartment and stuff like like they had originally promised. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank We Good. do a... Any other questions? We do have another hand. Thank you, Larry, Beth. Larry Johnson. Go yes. ahead. Who? Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes <clears throat> blind people are their worst enemy. I will say that. And uh, the reason for that is that, uh, unlike the previous speaker, very often people will complain and complain, but they will not take action. You know, we uh, recently held three citywide open houses of the AAA to try to inform the public at large, not just blind people, but the public at large about the kinds of services that they offer. And most folks don't know this. They, you know, they offer benefit counseling, they offer weatherization, they offer uh, information about uh, caregiving support, etc., and and most of the services, of course, are contracted with other agencies. They don't do a lot of direct service, but you can find out what they offer by contacting them. When we did these three open houses in three different parts of the city of San Antonio, the total and I made a special effort to get the word out to organizations of the blind, organizations serving the blind, including our lighthouse, including NFB, ACB, some low vision support groups and so forth. 
And we had a total, not counting me, of five blind or visually impaired people show at those three gatherings. That's part of our problem. It, even when the word is out there and direct, directed to the organizations of the blind or agencies that serve the blind, people just don't respond. And if they don't respond, they don't learn what services could be available to them and then advocate for getting those services. So that's one of the big, big issues that I want to point out. You're absolutely right about it's important to try to join their advisory committee, to get to know the, uh, the head managers, to find out what programs might be, you know, valuable, and then to share that information somehow with the blindness community. But again, sometimes we are our own worst enemy in responding to the opportunity to learn about things, programs, services that could be helpful to us. Uh, very early on, and I'll give you this personal story, I became interested in the uh, exercise program, and and uh, I, I learned about it at a conference. And I came back and I contacted the AAA, and I said, "I want to, I want to become involved. I want to be a trainer uh, of this uh, fall prevention program." Well, the head trainer said, "Okay, that's good." I went to the orientation. She said, "Well, now you're going to need." the teacher's manual in Braille, right? I said, yes. And by golly, they got it. And for five years, I did uh, training of fall prevention to classes. And uh, they were classes of, you know, sighted people, uh, did a several classes for deaf people, and we did classes for visually impaired people. So it was, you know, it, it is possible to get involved and to be an influencer with the AAAs in serving the community better. Thank you. We have about five minutes. Well, yes, five minutes till the top of the hour. Yep. Are there other hands, Desi? Not at this time. Okay. Uh, five minutes. Anisio, Neva, do you have any uh, concluding remarks that you would like to? end with well i i think one of the one of the the questions may be doug you know what happens from now on you know it's interesting we did the we did this uh project uh during um the last request that i had and questionnaires that i received was probably in august of 2021 so and I must say, I mean, the, 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 the offer is still there, still available. And I just recently, last week, received an email asking me for the survey and in introduction letter to, for them to follow up with their local AAA. So it still goes on. It, it may be that we want to get back to the folks that requested in the, in the past and maybe do some, some follow-up with them. I'm not sure, but... Um, but the other thing that I would suggest, and I think Neva touched on it, is, is the 
importance of and perhaps the opportunity that exists for local chapters of ACB uh, to, to really engage with their local AAA and invite them to come to their meeting or, you know, especially nowadays it's so much easier because so many of the meetings are virtual or on Zoom, they're hybrid, so it's easy for them to, to, to join and learn more about what it is that we do and what we, um, we are interested in, what our needs are, and begin to, from the chapter level to the AAA, to begin to develop some strategies to, uh, to work together and identify ways in which they can collaborate. And I'd just like to touch on the fact that if you go to a AAA program and it doesn't meet your needs, speak up say something, ask for what you need, and keep asking until you get it so you can fully participate. You have a right to fully participate in the in the services in your community. And it would be nice if we could walk in and there would be print and braille and large print and audio and all of that right at the front ready for us. I think that's I think that's a, an ideal dream we should strive for. But when that doesn't happen, I think we still have to push for what we need and not just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, I give up and leave. And we would like to provide, we at uh, AAVL would like to provide a place where uh, people can come with their concerns about the advocacy uh, piece of it. If you're, you know, if you want to, uh, interact with the, your AAA uh, on an advocacy kind of basis, but your kind of, you know, advocacy sounds like a a, a big word that uh, you don't know how to do. Um, one of the things that we're thinking about is having periodic uh, events to uh, for where people can come and say, well, this is what I tried to do and this is what happened. So I'm kind of stumped about what the next uh, what the next piece is. So uh, we would like to uh, do that, and, and um, Anisio and I will 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 take a look at that and see what we can uh, what we can schedule um, for people. The other thing is the other thing that AAVL is trying to do is uh, we're making we're making a big push. Uh, we have two state chapters, so California and Oregon uh, already have chapters of. Uh, Alliance on Aging and Visiting Loss in their states. Um, Utah, that, you guys have a, a big membership um, and um, we'd love to have you guys work on uh, developing a chapter of AAVL in Utah. And um, so you can, uh, you know, uh, so we can interact with each other and, and work on some of the things that, that Beth brought up and, and Jesse brought up. Um, so, and if you're in another state, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we can do that, something similar in Virginia. That's where I live. So, um, and uh, hopefully Anisio will be able to do something in Florida. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's another way of, of creating a network. So Vision Serve Alliance sort of has, is sort of high level and they, they have organizations like AER. Doug, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but we are at the top oh, of the hour. We are. Okay. Let me just finish up real quick. Um, uh, Vision Serve Alliance, you know, is developing some good stuff. 
and need help at the local level to, you know, state and local level to, to start uh, uh, implementing stuff at the, uh, you know, that, that we want and need. So um, keep in touch with us and uh, see if you can create a chapter so that we can uh, uh, be in constant communication and uh, keep working on the things that they brought us. So thank you very much, Anisio and Neva, for putting in your time for the, uh, on the questionnaires. Um, and thank you for coming, everybody. 